Well, hey, Harvest, it's great to be back with you here. I uh, actually want to begin with some calendar talk with you here for just a little bit. So if you would, would you go ahead and grab out your phone, go to your calendar app or whatever it is that you use. Uh, seriously, go ahead and uh, grab that. Just go to your calendar app, take a look there. And uh, uh, as you'll, you'll look there, I'll just note this. We are calendar people, aren't we? I mean, timelines and schedules, and, and that's all really important, and, and it's all really good. Uh, I want to talk a few uh, Sunday calendar items here for us. Uh, one, looking back, I'm just so grateful for Pastor Brock having preached these last couple Sundays, aren't you? I'm just so grateful for that. And if, uh, if you're new here and you're not sure, uh, Pastor Brock and Erica are planting a harvest on the south side of Indy, and uh, we as are really their kind of a, a partnering, key partnering church with them on the south side. We're excited about that. But boy, just taking us to Mark chapter 12 and talking about the four traps that uh, the leaders tried to put Jesus Christ in, and uh, so appreciated Brock and his time there. Uh, today, I, I have on my app, we're in Mark chapter 13. In fact, if you want to grab your Bibles and turn there. Uh, we're big about the Bible around here. You don't need to hear what I want to say. You want to hear what God's Word has to say. So turn to Mark chapter 13. Should be a Bible if you forgot your Bible today. Uh, it should be on the back of that seat there. Uh, a couple things while you're turning there. We're going to just hit the first half of chapter 13 today. Uh, this is part one of two parts with chapter 13, kind of like what we did with chapter 12. So uh, today is a longer intro for both, uh, both sermons there. But I want to let you know one of the things that came up in our schedule here as we're going through Sundays is uh, one of a uh, Harvest Pastor in Peoria at Harvest Bible Chapel there, Tim uh, Harkness. Tim had some brain surgery here a couple years ago and just had to have two more uh, tumors rema- uh, removed from his brain here uh, this earlier this month. And so uh, Tim had asked some of his harvest pastors if we'd come and fill in for him. So I talked with the elders. And so I'm going to be actually, it wasn't the plan originally, but next Sunday, February 1st, I'm going to be going over to Harvest Peoria and uh, filling in for Tim. And I think that's just a way for us to be able to serve uh, other churches because we love the local church. And so we're going to be doing that. But I'm really excited for you because Pastor Cody is going to be filling in next Sunday. Absolutely. And uh, you'll hear in a little bit, it's going to be like a pause and see the big picture. So I want for you to know this. This Sunday, next Sunday, and the Sunday after that, this is like a combined unit together, okay? So next Sunday, we're not stepping out, if you will, but we're going to step out to get the big picture of what's going on because we are about to walk to the cross uh, through the rest of Mark. So you're going to want to be here uh, as we scan through some other calendar options, just so you know. I think it's the third Sunday in March, Luke McDonald is going to be coming here and preaching from Chicago. Excited about that. Then Easter is, uh, what, the first Sunday in April, I think, this year, if I'm looking at my calendar right. And so we're going to be having Easter. We decided to have Easter this year. We're going to be uh, finishing. uh, Seriously, we're praying for a 1,000 people on Easter. Wouldn't that not be awesome? Uh, So we're looking forward to that. We're going to be finishing up our study through the Gospel of Mark. And then after that, whether it's the next Sunday after that or a couple Sundays after that, we're going to begin a series picking back up in Revelation and going through the book of Revelation. And I know everybody's cranked up about that. Today, uh, we're in Mark chapter 13. um, And this is a a calendar kind of a thing that we tend to take it to. Uh, But let, let me just hit that calendar drum a little bit more. We are calendar people, and we have a tendency to make everything by timelines. We love timelines. And so what we end up doing is making life timelines like this. Here's some life schedule timelines. Like if you go to college, you got to do college in four years, right? Wrong, because I did it in six. I was one of the slower dudes, absolutely. And uh, amen. You know, sometimes it's like you got to buy a house by the time you're whatever age. Uh, oftentimes it's like you, you, you have a child so many years after we're married. It's got to be timed uh, with that. A child must be walking at so many months or talking at so many months. And it's like, who said 
Who said so? But, but we love these calendar things. We, have, we love money timelines. You know, things like, uh, uh, I'm going to tick Dave Ramsey people off here. Uh, you know, you got to have certain amount of money in emergency. You got to have certain amount of money in savings. You got to have certain things. And listen, I, I'm all for that. We do that as a church. We're to be wise with it. But sometimes those timelines can become idols in all reality. And we get so keyed in on the timeline. We can have church timelines that end up taking precedence over what's important. Like, we made it to church on time today. Yeah, that's awesome. But one of the things was we sinned like crazy getting here. <laughs> True? I mean, sometimes that's just the way it happens. Here's another one, uh, even with preaching timelines. Did you guys notice Brock talked, preached less time than I usually do? Did you notice that? Oh yeah, you did. <laughs> You have no idea what to say right now. But it is true. And here's another one. End times, timelines, eschatology timelines. Like is it pre-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, post-trib, pan-trib? Pan-trib, that's just, it's all going to pan out. Uh, you know, what's going on? Isn't it true? Uh, I mean, we just are like, we think that way. And, and, and Doug, why are you talking about calendar and timelines? Because we're entering what's called the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus is about to talk about things that are in the future. And what we end up doing is we end up going, give me the timeline, right? I, I want to know the timeline uh, so that I can get it in my app and I just know what's ahead and, and exactly what's going on. Newsflash, no timeline today. And no timeline in two Sundays and I'm also going to put myself out on the table to tell you this. When we go through Revelation, I am just telling you right now, timeline is not my first priority. Timeline is not my first priority. And I say that because I don't think the book of Revelation's first priority is laying out a timeline. Revelation verse one, verse one, Revelation chapter one, verse one. It doesn't say to reveal a timeline. It says the revealing of Jesus Christ. And it is a worship book in so many ways. That we would see Jesus big and he's got it all in control, folks. And we're going to be worshiping him through the book of Revelation. And when time comes up, we're talking timeline. But I want to let you know here, as we are going through the gospel of Mark, we are doing a boots on the ground walking with Jesus and the 12 here. And in it, we're headed to the cross. And Mark did not all of a sudden say, I'm telling you the story of the second person of the Trinity that has come to the flesh and is going to the cross and going to rise again. And all of a sudden in chapter 13, he's like, let's stop and let's talk about eschatology. Let's talk about the end times. He, Mark does not pull out and all of a sudden go, for theologians, does not go, let's now do a systematic theology study of eschatology. That's not what chapter 13 is about for Mark, and that's not what chapter 13 was about at the Olivet Discourse for Jesus Christ. Let me say it this way. He has something bigger to say to us than a timeline. Jesus has something bigger to say to us in chapter 13 than a timeline. It's the same for Revelation. So right now, some of you are going in your mind, so Doug, what is your timeline? <laughs> I'm going to answer that, and then we're going to set it aside. Doug, what, what's your eschatology view? Okay? I'm just going to say it, and I mean this very seriously. I pray for a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I want out before it gets bad. I pray for a pre-tribulational rapture for the church. But I am also saying this, as a man redeemed in Christ, I also want to be spiritually prepared to walk all the way to a pre-wrath reality. And you know what? Jesus has it all in control. I pray for pre-tribulational rapture, I'd love that. All in favor? I, I want out. I want out on the really hard stuff. But you know what? As we get to Revelation, we'll see. Maybe it is a pre-wrath or some kind of possibility. And I want us to be prepared for that, if the Lord would have it. Well, one more timeline thing before we jump in. One more calendar thing. I'm really excited. I found something that I think actually may end up in museums 
Um, this is like a, a, a rare find. I found Jesus's calendar app. And um, so as we prepare to go up into chapter 13, I want for us to kind of get a roll because, I mean, what better app to go to than to be reminded of what's been happening as we enter into chapter 13 than Jesus's calendar app, right? So here, I got this. This, this is huge, folks. Here's screen number one on his calendar app. We're picking up before the cross. In your Bibles, it's Mark chapter 11, verse 32. Wednesday, remember that? Wednesday in Mark chapter 11, Jesus grabs the 12 and he says, we're headed south, we're headed to Jerusalem and he leads the way. You remember that? Jesus leads the way. He's not in the back of the pack, scared to death. He leads the way. He's got a mission to accomplish. And then also in that day, he gives his third teaching about what's coming up. And on the talk, on the walk, he tells them that he's going to be delivered over. He tells them that he's going to be mocked. He's going to be spit on. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be killed. And in three days, he's going to rise. And their minds are just like, <sighs> they have no idea what any of this is all about. Uh, we'll probably talk a little bit more on that in two Sundays. Uh, then he has some one-on-one time with James and John that he planned in there. Remember that? James and John on the walk through like, hey, Jesus, could we sit on your right and your left in glory? Like, we want that spot. By the way, that tells you a ton about what they understood to be the timeline. And hear me on this. They had their timeline wrong. And as a result of that, they missed a lot of what Jesus was trying to communicate in that. Uh, then Friday... Uh, how cool is that? Give glory to the Father. There's a great reminder. All day, all day long. Glory to the Father. I think that's really cool that Jesus would put that in there, don't you? Absolutely. Arrive in Bethany. That's Lazarus' family and home. And isn't that any son should do this? Call his mom, right? Call the mom at the end of the day. They arrived in Beth- Bethany. I mean, he had an iPhone. We all know that. He created all things. And so I'm sure his mom had one. Saturday, have a little fun with this. Saturday was a Sabbath, Passover week. What week is it? Big deal. Passover week. On Monday, uh, he sends two disciples to get a donkey. Uh, He enters Jerusalem. Remember the title of that? Deity on a donkey. Remember he's coming in and they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is the coming king of the father David. They had their timeline wrong too, by the way, uh, with what was going on. They He then had that kind of... Uh, at in the evening, quiet walk through the temple, and we don't even know what he was thinking, but we find out the next day, and he leaves. They head back to Bethany. Um, then Wednesday, or I'm sorry, Tuesday, they head to Jerusalem. Remember the fig tree curse thing going on with that? Then he walks in and condemns the whole temple fiasco, turns the tables over. Listen, my house is to be a house of prayer, not a mafia scandal. It's a moneymaker as we talked about what was going on. Then back to Bethany for the night. Then it's Wednesday uh, to Jerusalem again. Peter sees the fig tree. Jesus comments about that. And then Brock uh, covered for these last couple Sundays. Face off with the temple big shots. Yeah, don't try and punk Jesus. Uh, He's got it covered. Follows that up with some teaching. We're going to quickly see that today and quickly see that he sat to check out the treasury area. Boy, that's really sweet. We're going to see that in just a second. Then today, Mark 13, they leave Jerusalem. They have a teaching out on the Mount of Olives. And by the way, that evening is the evening that Judas goes and has a conversation to kind of seal some deal issues with the chief priests. Thursday is the Passover meal. Thursday is Gethsemane. Thursday, he's delivered over Friday. He's accused, beaten via Della Rosa to the cross. Remember, friends, we're in Wednesday. And life is about to change for the disciples on Friday. Lord, thank you so much for the time that we have to uh, talk and to dive into your word. Your word is marvelous. Your word is wonderful. Your word is from you. Your word is your word. We have been on this journey through the gospel of Mark coming to understand the magnificent work of you. The work of the Trinity. The coming of the second person of the Trinity. Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. And in the story, as we read it through the Gospel of Mark, it's Wednesday. And in two days, the second person of the Trinity is going to be nailed to a cross like a piece of meat. 
But oh, what a work it is. It is the work of the Godhead. Making the provision for forgiveness and redemption and relationship back with you available to all. Oh, may we awe in it, cherish it, love it. God, we're here. Word of God, speak. And put his face down. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, at Mark 13, give you enough time. Okay, Mark chapter 12, just real quick. Mark chapter 12, remember, look at the beginning of it, verses 1 through 34. Uh, four times that uh, questions were asked by the big dogs, by the leaders. Uh, four times they came to Jesus trying to trap him. And uh, uh, by the way, look at verse 34, the end of verse 34. And it says, after that, no one dared to ask Jesus any more questions. It's kind of like, hey, anybody want to play Jeopardy with Jesus? Uh, no. <laughs> I saw the last four contestants and they all lost. Uh, I love that. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's just quickly grab the end of chapter 12. This was going to be a whole sermon, but I'm just going to carry it on to get into 13. Uh, so all that's taken care of. Verse 35, they're still in the temple. And as Jesus taught in the temple, all the questions, all the questions are done. Questions done. Any questions? Okay, done. Now let me teach. And that's what's happening here. And he said, how can the scribes, by the way, the scribes were some of those that were pushing him. And they're still, he's on the temple. These guys had to probably still be around. They probably heard him say this. How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Verse 37, David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son in the great throng? That's a British word in translation process, literally. Uh, the great throng heard him gladly. What's going on here? Just real quick. Uh, Jesus just finished up with the great theologians of the day and took them under. And uh, no more questions to be asked. By the way, can I just note this? I love this. Jesus gladly answers questions. He answers questions, even if they are entrapment questions, gaming questions, or big theological questions. He's not scared of questions, and he's not intimidated or scared of people with questions. He will talk questions, okay? I love that about him. But do know this, he will give answers. And by the way, he doesn't have to deflate the ball to win. Ooh, I had to get that in there somewhere. (laughs) Had to get that in there somewhere. Okay, take that off the web. Um, I'm just going to keep going now. Verse 38. And in his teaching, so he's still teaching, beware of the scribes. Imagine if they're there hearing that. Beware of the scribes. Why? Uh, Beware of the ones who look, who, who, who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. You getting the idea? By the way, look at this, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. He ends his teaching, and then look at this, verse 41, he sits down to watch people. By the way, have you ever just like been at the mall, especially as guys, we're more that way, at the mall or something, you sit down and just watch people? And just watch, and have you ever played that game? I'll bet he's a... this and I'll bet that, and it's like you know, probably go to bad places with that. But in it, it's just we watch people. This is this is a, a cool moment. Look at this, verse forty-one. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people. Now, now let's uh, right here. You can see on the screen we've got this arrow here. Uh, this is the temple grounds where that arrow is right down in there. That was the treasury area, and uh, because uh, this isn't going to be a sermon today, there, there's all this stuff. These these uh, multiple giving units of places, and they were called trumpets, and they were shaped like a trumpet. You remember those things you put like a quarter in or a diamond for your kid, and they go. Whirr. I love those things. Uh, well, they were kind of like that. They came up and came out, and so people could take their giving, which were coins, and they could put it in, or they could go, ding, ling, 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 
<laughs> something like that. And, and in it to go down, and it's kind of like everybody here, how much I'm giving in that whole thing. So he sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. wonder what he's looking at. wonder what he's grasping. I wonder what the second person of the Trinity, Colossians 1, the one who created all things, including all people, I wonder what he's thinking and seeing Many rich people put in large sums. That's awesome, by the way. Verse 42, And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, He's like, guys, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Guys, truly, I tell you, this poor widow, you see her? You see her over there? That poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box combined. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Guys, look, she's all in. By the way, look at the top of the page, verse 30 and so forth. Brock covered the other Sunday where he's talking about love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Guys, look, that gal's got it going on. She's all in. That's what I'm talking about. In this, what a sweet moment. Listen, friends, I don't think this passage is about tithing or giving or poor is better. This passage right there is about a widow that's all in for Jesus, all in for the Lord. Love it, love it, love it. And he's saying, don't be like the long robe, best seated, self honoring, widow devouring, long winded prayer dudes. Say, not, not. Instead, we're to be like that. Not ritual, but face down relationship with the Lord. Be that. And we pick up chapter 13. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look. Teacher, look what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings And Jesus said to him, do you see all these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. What a party pooper. (laughs) Let's talk about this. I'll just say chapter 13, buckle up, folks, with, with what these Sundays, these really these three Sundays, this is a challenging text we're about to enter into here. Um, and I'll just say faithful Bible believing people have some differing views on the details of this, what we're about to enter into. What we're about to enter into, uh, faithful Bible-believing people have some different views on it, and I just want to acknowledge that. Some view that what we get down to here in the Mount of Olives is a teaching that they think is all referring to the uh, near event of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, and it's only talking about that. Others look at this and say it's only a far event thing, that it's only referring to the end of the age. I'm just going to tell you, and good people uh, vary on this, but I'm going to say I lean toward Jesus as addressing both the near event of the 70 AD destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, while also addressing the far event of his second coming and the events preceding his second coming. That's where I'm coming from. Let me sum it this way. He's talking about a coming local event that is a forerunner of a coming future event. A local event that's already occurred in 70 AD uh, is the lens through which we're going to be seeing things uh, of a latter universal event yet to come. And so here, they leave the temple, and how this gets started, they leave the temple, and uh, it's this, by the way, this is the last time Jesus leaves the temple, that Jesus is in the temple. Let me say it this way, the glory has just left the house. The true priest has just left the house. And one of the 12, we don't know who, it doesn't really matter, because Mark didn't think it was important to tell us, and he says, look at this building. Whoa. Hey, friends, it was an architectural wonder. This was a complex on 37 acres of property. Well, let me just tell you, our property, kind of like all the trees, is about 24 acres. So you take our property and then gobble up uh, uh, Gander Mountain and Hobby Lobby and some of the parking lot. This is massive. 
This is a huge feat, and they didn't have the kind of equipment that we have today. And these were massive white stones, massive. And these parts of the temple were decorated in gold that it would glisten during the day when the sun was out. Sun was out. And on top of that, this is the very sanctuary that they saw that God resided. How can you destruct God's home? And they're thinking. And then Jesus just blows their visual party and uh, says, guys, it's all coming down. Can you imagine what these boys are thinking? Bless their hearts, they still don't get it. It gives me hope. But in it, that's what's happening. Verse three, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives, by the way, he blew their mind on this. Uh, that's all gonna fall down. And then Mark doesn't tell us anything about anything after that. I don't know, maybe everybody just was like, I'm not asking a question. I mean, I saw four guys ask questions before. It didn't go so well. I don't even know what they're to start with right now. But he just stops dead. And we pick up verse 3. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when all these things will be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. Stop there. Okay, so Jesus comes out of the temple and they're sitting on the Mount of Olives. Now, on the Mount of Olives there, this would be the right section, kind of the hilly section over there. They'd be looking back at the temple. So I'm just, hey, Jim, hey, I get to sit with you guys. So it's kind of like they're all sitting here on the Mount of Olives. And we've been at the Mount of Olives. Some of you have probably been at the Mount of Olives. And you're sitting there, and it's about a quarter mile, a third of a mile away from the entry. It's about 200 feet up above. So you're actually kind of looking down. Can you imagine this? Wouldn't this just be cool if you're like all here hanging with Jesus and looking back at the temple? Okay, so everybody, keep that in your mind. That's what this whole conversation, where it's taking place and what's happening in this. This is a sweet teaching moment, okay? This is not a, I'm about to rip you up moment. Okay, that's the setting. He sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. By the way, those are the same four in the beginning of the gospel who were talked about interacting with Jesus in the very beginning, those four. And they ask him privately. So he says, tell us when will all these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Listen, here they are on the Mount of Olives and they ask a calendar question, right? They ask a timeline question because we are all calendar people. We are timeline people. In their mind, uh, one of the things I love about this is Jesus' statement that it's all going down. They've been thinking about this for a quarter, third of a mile walk. And however long it's been, they've been pondering this through. Wait a second, wait, he's saying this magnificent thing is like going down? What, what would you be thinking? I would be thinking, when, why, and how? And I love the fact that they ask the question, and by the way, Jesus takes questions and he's gonna answer them here. They've been processing it. They want to know the when and the signs to the when, but watch this. Jesus never answers their timeline curiosity, okay? He doesn't do that. He has something bigger to say to them and to us. So here we go. Jesus began to say to them, you must see, it's imperative. By the way, there's tons of imperatives. That's a command form of the word in here. You you must be continuously seeing that no one leads you astray. Guys, many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, circle this. Do not be alarmed. That's an imperative. That's also a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not like I would encourage you. It's not like it would be a good idea. This is what is the bigger thing to be heard. He's saying, do not be alarmed. And then he goes on, this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. By the way, ladies who have had children, uh, you get that latter part way better than us guys do. The beginning of the birth pains. By the way, note, Jesus does give some signs. 
He does give some signs. I've got four noted here. Verse 6, he gives, uh, says that there's going to be false messiahs, false Christs. Uh, there's going to be many of them. And all of this is in an, in an increasing manner. Secondly, he says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7 and 8, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Those are going to be increasing like the birth pains. Third, he says earthquakes in the middle of verse 8. Man, earthquakes can be devastating, can't they? You know, there's the little ones that we watch that shake the chandelier or whatever in an office or the cabinet out in L.A. My wife grew up in L.A. and she talks about used to seeing that. But no, earthquakes can get to the point where they're massively devastating. And then fourth, this is sad, famines. Famines are brutal. And Jesus says these are the beginning of the birth pains. These are signs stated from Jesus. Doug, are you going to give us the stats on all of these? No, not today. I could do that. But let me just say this. Do we really need to have the stats to be able to sit here and go, the false messiahs, the wars, the earthquakes, the famines? I probably am going to bring some stats in a couple weeks, but at the same time, do we really even need those things to see the reality of what's increasing? Something is bigger happening here. Let me show you in the big context of things. Let's just step out on the whole of this talk here in chapter 13. Look at verse 5. It says, Jesus says, see. It's an imperative. It's a command. Down at verse 7, he says, do not be alarmed. Go to verse 9. Jesus says, guys, be on your guard. Verse 11, look there. He says, do not be anxious. Verse 14, he says, but when you see, go to verse 23, uh, be on your guard. He says, verse 29, he says, when you see these things, verse 33, be on your guard. Hey, keep awake is what he's doing. And, And then verse 34, he says it again, stay awake. And then verse 35, therefore, stay awake. And then verse 37, and what I say to you, I say to all. By the way, all, stay awake. New International Version has watch. Do you get an idea of what Jesus is trying to point out to his boys here? Listen, guys, I'll give you some data, but here's the deal. And in this first one, what he's saying here in this, if I could sum it up in verses 5 through 8, he's saying this, guys, horror is coming. Do not be alarmed. Horror is coming. Do not be alarmed. By the way, may I ask this question? What day is it in this time? It's Wednesday. Their weekend is going to be like horror, by the way. But Jesus is talking about coming times. Uh, Horror is happening and horror more of it is coming. Do not be alarmed by it. False saviors, false gospels, wars, earthquakes, famines. Don't be alarmed by them. Do you watch the news thinking biblically? How often do, do, do you, do we watch the news? Like what in the world is going on? Why are we alarmed? Why are we alarmed? Let's keep going. Verse 9 through 13. But be on your guard, guys. Guys is in the Greek. Be on your guard, guys, for for they will deliver you over to councils. And you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over circleless, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. That's cool. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. 
and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let's talk on this just for a little bit. Persecution is coming. Do not be anxious. Persecution is coming. Do not be anxious. He says you will be rejected, you'll be delivered over, you'll be beaten, you'll be killed, you'll be hated by government authorities, by legal authorities, even by family and friends. I just want to pause here and make a statement here. How often do you hear the presentation of the gospel that includes this kind of stuff? I mean, come to Jesus and know this. You will be delivered over and hated. Anybody want to come? That's what the gospel includes. And yet, may I note this. From the last thing we were saying, there are going to be many false gospels. And we have an Americanized view of the gospel. That Jesus comes, will give you health and wealth and prosperity. Where does any of this kind of stuff fit in with that? Oh, friends, that is not the gospel. Jesus can bring health and wealth and prosperity if he chooses. But do know this. Have you come to Christ knowing that you may be hated and killed and beaten for the name of Jesus? Or are you out on that gospel? Because if you're out on that gospel, you are not in the gospel. And America needs to hear this and wake up. And by the way, I get no personal joy in talking about this stuff because I'm on the table too. Come to Jesus, you will be hated, delivered over and beaten. Why isn't that not talked about? 2 Timothy 4.3 For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I just ask in concern and love for you and for me, what is your theology of persecution and suffering? Seriously, what is your theology of persecution and suffering? Straight up, far too often we American Christians act like spoiled Jesus brats. Like Jesus is our Santa Claus. And friends, he's about something way bigger than that. This is not our home. And we need to wake up to that reality. Pastor Doug, I'm wondering about this verse 13 thing. And it says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. What's that saying? Uh, Just quickly, perseverance is the proof of your profession. Perseverance is the proof of your profession. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all start out as sinners. But Jesus Christ has come, and the Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That there comes a point in time when we drive the stake in the ground, kind of like we're not dating Jesus anymore. We're like gonna get a covenant pledge like in marriage. No, I'm in on this for the long haul. And we come to a place in time where we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. The Bible says, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you done that? Have you come to that place where you've acknowledged that you're a sinner separated from God and that you're in deep trouble because of that? And by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior, he's like, I've got got grace and forgiveness all available, but you have to grab a hold of it. And if you've gone, I want that, Christ, I receive you as my Savior. But it's not just like another trophy on the shelf. It's about being a warrior for Christ. Come hell or high water, Lord. I'm in this with you and for you. And in this, this is the perseverance, is the proof of one's profession. I love this. I'd like to spend more time, but I just can't today because I'm going to be way really long past Brock's time. (laughs) 
I love Brock. Vance Havner said this, love this. Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. I do not believe you can lose your salvation. The question is, is in trials and persecution, that's when we find out where we really are at. Your fruit reality is the evidence of your root reality. Friends, horror is coming, but do not be alarmed. Persecution is coming. Do not be anxious. And lastly, tribulation is coming. Be on your guard. Verse 14, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, See parentheses here? Let the reader understand. By the way, that is in the original Greek. Mark wanted the reader to understand. So I'm just going to pause here just for a minute because if you're new to the Bible, what's this abomination of desolation? Uh, Real quickly, from Daniel. Daniel chapters 9, 11, and 12 talk about the abomination of desolation. In uh, 167 BC, the, the temple was desecrated. The first temple was desecrated when Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed a pig on the temple altar to Zeus. Yeah, there is an abomination of desolation. Also in 70 AD, by the way, General uh, Titus entered the temple desecrating it. Also, I add to the Second Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4, it says the coming man of lawlessness will exalt himself to taking his seat in the temple as God and proclaiming himself as God. I believe that is yet to come. Uh, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. There's a lot of real reality of that in 70 AD. Uh, Verse 15, let the one who is in the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. By the way, do you see on these houses on the screen, the drums are kind of in the way there, but they're flat tops and people at night would go up to their houses and chill. That's their patio on night. And basically part of what's going on is, listen, if you're up on top of the patio uh, at night and all of a sudden the abomination of desolation takes place, don't even run inside, run out. Just head out. Verse 15, let the one who is in the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out and let the the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak and alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, woe, alas for them. Pray that they may not, that it may not be in winter for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not yet been from the beginning of the creation of God until uh, now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. I think we'll see some of that in Revelation. But for the sake of the elect, ooh. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Or look, there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on your guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Now understand this, right? I'm stopping. I'm going to make a few comments about it but we're in the middle of his talk. Originally, I was going to try and take the whole thing as one, but I'm taking it in two. So understand, more is coming to fill out what we're talking about here to grab a full understanding. I just need to say that. And so many things here we could talk about, and so many related to a calendar timeline. But there's something bigger here. And verse 23 sums it up, but be on your guard. Be on your guard. Listen, what's happening in the future matters now. It has implications with life now. And here, Jesus' objective was not to give them a calendar app. 
I mean, while he's sitting with them, he could have gotten on the ground there and just gone, okay, guys, let's get, let's get a nice, smooth sand here. And okay, we're here now, and here's what's going on here, there, and then there's a pre-trib wrath, or pre-trib, uh, not wrath, uh, thank you, I'm in. And then it's like this, and then this, and th- that wasn't what Jesus was doing, but he could have, right? He easily could have, and man, he could have taken a picture with his iPhone of that. And, uh, trying to be funny in it. And, but he didn't do that. What he was doing was saying, listen to me, there are going to be times of horror and persecution and tribulation. And know this, the end, it's going to get more and more and more and more and what? But in all of that, don't be alarmed. Hey, don't be alarmed. If you are in Christ, don't be alarmed. If you are in Christ, don't be anxious. He's got it figured out, okay? The timeline, the calendar app, is in good hands. And if you are in Christ, you are in his hands. Let him deal with that. But know this. Don't be alarmed. Don't be anxious. But that also does not mean sit back and be a sloth. Be on your guard. Be on your guard, Harvest. Be on your guard, God's people. Be on your guard, loved ones. And we'll pick up more next Sunday. Oh, by the way, Jesus' call is not to look like this. I would say that that dude's not alarmed. And I would say he's not anxious. I don't know, maybe you might say he's on his guard because he's got a home security alarm system. I don't know. But hear me on this. Jesus did not call his, I'm just gonna say it in guy terms. Jesus did not call his men to be man boys. Not like that. If you think Christianity is like that, you get a wrong view. Instead, I propose this image. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you hold all things in your hands. You're not nervous. You're not shaking in your boots. You're not trying to figure it out. You're not surprised. You got it all. You started it all. You created it all. Next Sunday, Pastor Cody is just going to see how the all reality is and the implications of that, especially even with here and what we're talking about now. Lord, I realize right now in this room there are people who were like, yeah, but I still just don't quite get why. God, we love to control. And we struggle to let anyone else have control with our lives. And the reality is we struggle to allow you the authority to have control and us not know some things. But that's why this is called faith. And Hebrews talks about how faith is a confident assurance And a passage like Mark chapter 13 is the kind of passage that reminds us, you know what's coming even though we don't. And yet you tell us some of what's coming, enough of us to get a glimpse of an assurance that you have it in control. 
And we need to leave it there in your control. And yet out of that, knowing of assurance that you have it in control, God, we are to be the kind of people that are not alarmed. God, I would pray when we see the news and the horror and the persecution and the tribulation that is going on in our world in an increasing fashion. While there is an alarming within us, we would not be alarmed. And we would be taken theologically back to the reality. We live in a sin-cursed world. And the truth of the matter is it will only get worse. And the truth of the matter is, the reason we are not in a daily living hell is because your grace is holding it back. But one day, you will withdraw your grace hold and it will be hell on earth. God, I pray in it that before jumping to the timeline thoughts of that, we would jump to the place of, I want to be in that for the king. I want to endure. That means now, I am preparing myself not to be about me, but to be about you, king. Master, Lord, Savior, coming one, Redeemer. Shake us up, Lord. I really ask, shake us up to wake us up. We are in a war. Fight it with the love of Jesus Christ. The answer to the problems. God, I pray if there's anyone here in this room today that does not know you as their Savior, they are unsure. Pray today they would get with one of us and drive the stake in the ground and receive you as their King and Lord and Savior. We leave pursuing to be warriors, not alarmed, not anxious, on our guard, all for you, all for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.